So on today's podcast, we are going to be answering listeners' questions, which are going to be on adjusted net income, which sounds really boring to me, but is very relevant if you've got tax-free childcare or you want to avoid the marginal rate of 60% at least taxation between 100 and what's the number? 125, 140, mate? Yeah, 125, 140, absolutely. Cool. Also, Ed's here with me, as you may have guessed. And if you're watching on YouTube, you will have seen that. And we're also going to be taking a listener's question on the pros and cons of property investing. And if you're watching on YouTube, we've got a YouTube channel now. And today's presentation for me is going to be the reason that you subscribe. Okay. Maybe you enjoyed our pensions video, 45 minutes, just explaining everything you need to do about your pension with worked examples. That's on YouTube. You enjoyed it, but you thought, that's not worth subscribing for. Maybe you're thinking, should I start a limited company to save tax? And you've watched our YouTube video on limited company tax, where we actually break down a worked example with actual figures to show you and help you decide. You like that video, but you thought, that's not worth subscribing for. I promise you, my presentation today is going to be what gets you to subscribe. Because although we've got over 35,000 doctors a month listening to this podcast, we only just started on YouTube, so we're pretty small. I think we got about 1,000 subscribers or something now, mate? Yeah, 1,290, I think. I love it. I love growing things really small. So it's growing, it's slow, but if you like it, definitely hit subscribe. So let's get into it. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So, mate, should we just get straight into it today? Because we've got a lot of listeners' questions to get through. I really want to get into this. So I think the first listener sent in a voice recording. He did indeed, yeah. So it's from Tom. And uh, let's hear his question now. Hello, my name's Tom. I'm in my third year of working as an NHS consultant and I've got a question about adjusted net income where an individual within a family needs to earn under £100,000 in order to be eligible for tax-free childcare and 33 hours. Of course, I think 15 free hours is for everybody. And I've heard rumours from a number of colleagues that you're able to deduct your pension contributions from this amount in order to bring you below the 100,000. And I've also heard from other colleagues that actually you can adjust your tax-free allowance from this total as well. And I've heard both sets of groups saying that the other group is wrong. I've tried to do some research around it myself and I'm just not entirely sure what the answer is. Just really, I'm a little bit stumped as to how the adjusted net income is calculated for doctors paying into an NHS pension. Okay, so that was the question, all about adjusted net income and the impact on the tax-free childcare scheme. I think we've had quite a few, from memory, we've had quite a few questions, not just from Tom, but from other people as well, about adjusted net income and how it's calculated. And there is some confusion about that. And I thought today might be useful to try and answer Tom's question as best we can, and also go through it for all our listeners and viewers. Let's do it, mate. Let's go. Okay, all right, guys. So, as Tommy said, it's a little bit of a dry subject, but uh, it is really important. Okay, so there are quite a few areas in tax where this concept of adjusting net income becomes important, which of course really begs the question that everyone's asking, you know, what exactly is adjusted net income? So that's basically your total taxable income before 
any personal allowances unless certain tax reliefs, in particular, your adjusted net income is reduced by the gross amount of any gift day payments or personal pension contributions eligible for tax relief in the tax year. Okay, so what we do, let's take each of those elements in turn and go through them, okay? So you first, you need to take your taxable income, okay? That's gonna include your income from employment, any bonuses, profits from self-employment, interest on savings, dividends from companies, so on, okay? But now note that we need taxable income, not your gross income, okay? So for those of you who receive a salary from the NHS, it's not your gross pay that you need to include, but your salary after your NHS pension and after any employment expenses. If you're self-employed, for example, a partner in a GP practice or a GP locum, etc., you need to include your taxable profits, not the amount of drawings that you receive, but your taxable profits, okay? And that should give you your net income, okay? Now what we need to do is adjust that net income by doing the following, okay? So firstly, if you've made a donation to charity or to charities in the year, you can deduct the grossed up amount, which is what you paid, plus the basic rate of tax. And to cut a long story short, to work this out, all you need to do is multiply donations you made by 1.25, okay? So if you made a £100 donation to a charity, you can deduct 125 off the net income that you've received to get an adjusted net income, okay? And secondly, if you've made personal pension contributions into a pension scheme where your pension provider has already given you some tax relief, then again, you can take off the grossed up amount, which again is what you paid plus the basic rate of tax. If you made a £100 contribution into a personal pension scheme, you multiply that by 1.25 to get in this example, £125, which is then deducted from your net income. Now, of course, most of us would not have paid into a private pension or a personal pension. And if you do, or you're thinking of doing so, you might want to consider carefully the tax consequences of doing so, given you've already got your NHS pension and all the joys that come with all the pension charges and so on. But long and short of it is, you've got your adjusted net income, that's your taxable income, which is found after you've taken off your professional expenses and your NHS pension and then deducting off any grossed up charitable donations and grossed up personal pension contributions. Okay, so if we make up some numbers, okay, just try and see if we can help people understand a bit better. You know, imagine I've got a salary of 65,000 pounds, let's say all made up, 65,000 pounds, an NHS pension contribution in that year of 5,000 pounds, professional expenses of 1,000 pounds and charitable donations of 500. Okay, so my net income is the £65,000 salary, less the £5,000 that's already paid into the NHS pension scheme, and also less the £1,000 of professional expenses, okay? So that should come down now to £59,000, okay? Then you can take off the charitable donation, as I say, that's grossed up by 1.25, okay? So I'm not deducting the £500 charitable donation, I'm deducting off £600 and 25 in that case, okay? So my adjusted net income is 65,000 pounds, less 5,000 pounds, less 1,000 pounds, and then less the 625 pounds to get my adjusted net income, okay? And it's really important to say that there are, you know, this does matter, okay? So a lot of people will think, well, why is this relevant? Why are we doing this calculation? What's the point, okay? And Tom in his question mentioned, one thing that's very important, but there are three main reasons why this matters, okay? 
So the way this matters to a lot of us is that it can affect your tax-free personal allowance, okay, which is currently 12,570. So if your adjusted net income exceeds £100,000, then your personal allowance is reduced by £1 for every £2 that your adjusted net income is above £100,000, okay? And this is what gives us that hideous marginal tax rate of 62% that we all talk about, okay? It's because of that reduction in your personal allowance that causes all the problems. And as Tommy said, you know, once you get to £125,140, you've completely lost your personal allowance, okay? So that's the first reason why it matters. Secondly, families may incur the high income child benefit charge where the adjusted net income of one partner is above £50,000. And that charges 1% of the child benefits claw back for every £100 of adjusted net income in excess of 50000 So by the time you reach £60,000, all the child benefit is clawed back. You know, you'd have to pay that back to HMRC. Okay. And finally, and this is what Tom alluded to in his question, adjusted net income is taken into account when considering eligibility for the tax-free childcare scheme. Now, under that tax-free childcare scheme, parents set up an online childcare account, and for every £8 that you pay into the account, the government will top up the fund by £2, and that's subject to an annual limit of £2,000 per child, or £4,000 for a disabled child. And then the funds can be used to pay for childcare provision. But if you have a net adjusted income, or if either a partner has a, an adjusted net income above 100000 or a single parent has an adjusted income above 100000 then you lose it all completely, okay? Which is quite unjust. So it's really important that you think about your net adjusted income, okay? If it's between 50000 to £60,000 and you claim child benefit, or it's around £100,000, you know, consider if there are any ways in where you can reduce it. So make sure you're claiming all your professional expenses, because it's really important. Make sure you claim for gift aid and any charitable donations. Because if you can reduce that adjusted net income, you may find it saves you tax by giving you back some of your personal allowance, reducing the amount of child benefit you have to pay back, or even allowing you to be eligible for that tax-free childcare scheme. Okay. Does that all make sense? You know, hopefully that's as clear as I can get it. It's not the most interesting thing to say, and it's not the easiest thing to get in your head, especially if you're listening to this on a podcast. But hopefully that makes some sense. Yeah. Just another reason to subscribe to YouTube, although I'm not sure how YouTube's going to help you to understand this. But no, I thought that was really clear, and it is complicated, but it's so important for those reasons you mentioned. So just a few observations and... Yeah. Also, can we just, I think the reason why a lot of people get confused about this is because you've got adjusted net income, which you've just explained. I think a lot of people get confused between adjusted, and I know I do, adjusted net income and adjusted income, which is something else. Should we muddy the waters with that or not? And then I've got a few points that I just want to clarify. Yeah, of course. So, you know, in all those things we mentioned just now, it's adjusted net income that matters. Okay, there are other instances where another phrase comes into consideration, your adjusted income, as opposed to your adjusted net income. Usually when we're talking about the annual allowance, which of course is quite important for a lot of doctors who are facing annual allowance charges and so on. Got a YouTube video on that. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. I presume there's going to be like a link somewhere to that. So we can watch it. So yeah, make sure you watch that video. Okay, so that's probably going to be more useful than this summary. I'm going to try desperately not to make it too complicated for people, okay? But essentially, regards the hideous annual allowance charge, 
If your threshold income exceeds 200,000, then your annual allowance may be tapered down if your adjusted income exceeds 240,000. Okay, so it gets very confusing. Your threshold income is basically your net income after your NHS pension contributions, and also less the gross amount of any personal pension contributions, which of course a lot of you would not have been paying. So essentially for most doctors, the threshold income is your net income after your NHS pension contributions, okay? And your adjusted income is your net income after your NHS pension contributions, but then you add those back in and also any employer contributions as well to the adjusted income. Now there's more to it, okay? There's other things there, okay? The point of this podcast isn't to talk about the annual allowance and it's not to talk about adjusted income, okay? So I know people might get excited and say there's other things in there that could be counted. It's just to try and explain that the adjusted net income that we've spoken about is for the personal allowance, it's for the child benefit, the high income child benefit charge, and it's for the tax-free childcare scheme, okay? The adjusted income stuff for the annual allowance is something different, okay? A different calculation. Yeah, I think it's really good to clarify that. And so a few things that I wanted to just make a point on. So the high income child benefit tax charge, which you said starts to apply from 50,000, okay? That is tapered down, okay? So... I don't mind things that are tapered because I don't like cliff edges. And what you get with tax-free childcare is a cliff edge. Because if your adjusted net income is £99,099.99p, and you will get the full tax-free childcare. And as a parent, I know the value of <laughs> childcare. And then if you go to over 100000 of adjusted net income, you get none of it. So it's just like an absolutely terrible cliff edge there that if you can avoid, you know, you need to think about how can avoid that. And I think what Ed said today is, hopefully helped you if not to think about it and also to avoid it because that is a savage cliff edge like the marginal we talk about the marginal rate and if you haven't if you're not aware about that on our instagram we have a marginal rate thing on our email list we're always going on about the marginal rate i think we have a youtube on marginal rate don't quote me on that we've definitely got a podcast on it but it's so important the marginal rate is the tax that you pay on the next pound earned and if you're a consultant nhs consultant or other doctor and you've got children and you're using tax-free childcare, and then somebody says you know would you like to help with the waiting lists and of course we would love to help with the waiting lists because we don't want our patients to be waiting and it pushes you from adjusted net income of ninety-nine thousand to a adjusted net income of 101,000, you just lost all your tax-free childcare, which is worth thousands. So I'm not saying don't do the work or anything like that, but I'm just saying if you're in these ranges, you got to think about this. And also on our marginal rate tax podcast and YouTube, we talked about the worst marginal rate of all, in my opinion, which is when you come off universal credit, that is just an absolute disgrace of tax legislation, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. Another thing we should say maybe about the higher income child benefit charge and also this uh, the tax-free childcare scheme is if you've got like two, like some spouses, et cetera, and two of them, both of them have an adjusted net income of, let's say in this case, 99,000 pounds each, then they will get the tax-free childcare scheme. But if one person gets £10,000 and the other gets £101,000, then they get nothing at all, which again is ridiculously unfair. Yep, we've got a podcast about tax planning as a family. I think it's called How the Financial Pros Handle Their Finance. We talk a bit about it in there. So tax planning as a family, essential. Great point, mate. The other thing that I was thinking about, something that I always get asked a lot is like, what is the most tax efficient amount to earn? So based on what you said, and I'm just, I'm doing maths on the fly here, which definitely isn't my forte. So pay attention in case I make a maths mistake. 
let's say you've got, you basically want your income to be about 100, and this is not advice, do your own research, everyone's numbers are different, but around about 113 to about 115,000, because say you earn that, you then contribute 13.5% to your NHS pension. Let's say you get £1,000 of tax deductible expenses using our free guide. Download the guide. Tax year end is approaching. Please do it now. Then that would take you down to an adjusted net income just below 100000 Have I done my maths in public correctly there or am I barking up the wrong tree? No, I think you're absolutely spot on. Not quite as much for the pension, the contribution but it will get you down below the 100,000, which is what you want to avoid. You definitely don't want to be between 100,000 and 125,000. Awesome. Great question. Thanks for sending that in. We are still doing loads of questions from you. So if you've got a question, send us a voice memo to team at medicsmoney.co.uk and we will do the question. Now, I know the moment you've all been waiting for. This was actually from a listener's question, but I don't have the voice memo. But basically the listener's question was, you talk about investing in stocks and shares all the time, but you hardly ever talk about investing in property. Why not? I love investing in property and lots of other doctors do. Why don't you talk about investing in property more? All right. So we've done quite a bit on investing in property. We've done a webinar, but that was way back in the day. So maybe you missed that. We've talked about it on the podcast a lot as well, but I think it's actually a fair point. We don't talk about it as much as stocks and shares and i don't know what your thoughts are mate but i love property investing yeah but i also love stocks and shares yeah yeah i mean i don't have any property but it's good stuff well that's the thing as well like i have a property investment but first things first i do not count my home as an investment really an investment is something that gives you money pays you a return every month so controversial but i don't really count my home as an investment the home that i live in you know and that might surprise some people but i don't know what's your thoughts on that like for me an investment is something that gives you a return every month i get a negative return from my house every month because uh, my heating bills are crazy and my kids don't turn the lights off yeah yeah i don't see i don't see my house as a investment in the kind of conventional sense as you say something that's going to give you a you know give you a return or give you extra money etc i see it personally as, yeah, a, yeah. as an asset um, yeah okay exactly yeah but i do actually have a property investment in so if you're a gp partner you may or may not know that some gp partners own their surgery and we rent our surgery to the nhs so that we can occupy it it's something called notional rent we talk about it a lot actually in our partnership course and oh we've got a session coming up actually so we better speed up this podcast so the next course gp partnership course starts on the 28th of february inserting an ad there even though it may be too late by the time this goes out so i have an investment in that but that's not accessible to many people but i thought i'd just flash out the pros and cons of property investment okay now do you remember when PowerPoint first came out, right? And everyone used like all the amazing transitions. Yeah. And then suddenly at some point that just went out of fashion and it didn't become cool to do that. And like even our, when we do a PowerPoint presentation, there's no transitions or anything. And actually it looks reasonably slick in my unbiased opinion. All right. So I'm going old school with this. Check this out. So if you're watching on YouTube right now, you like that? Beautiful. Look at that curtain drawn so we had the curtains opening there and we're talking about the pros and cons of property investing with some epic slide transitions so here it comes oh the breaking glass one that was a classic so the first pro of property investing i've put as leverage okay so if you don't know what leverage is that's absolutely fine i'm going to explain it leverage in the financial sense is essentially borrowing money from a bank 
to you know, amplify your returns. So let me give you an example. Let's say you want to buy a buy-to-let flat, okay? And you put 20% of the purchase price down as cash, okay? So you've invested 20% of your money. You go to the bank and they lend you the other 80% of the money, okay? And that allows you to buy the flat, okay? You then rent that flat out to somebody and you get 100% of the value of that back in rent. You don't get 20% of the rental value. You get 100% of the rental value because you have leveraged your 20% cash by borrowing the money from the bank. And that allows you to get much more for your money, if you will. Does that make sense as an explanation of what leverage is, mate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's lots of other forms of leverage, like you can leverage your time. So me and Ed are leveraging our time right now. The podcast started because we were getting tons of speaking invites to come and speak to doctors about their money. And we would go speak to 10, 20 people. And we loved doing that. But realistically, we couldn't travel the country speaking to 10 to 20 doctors at a time. So we started the podcast and that allows us to speak to 35,000 doctors last month, mate, which is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe they're all going to be looking at this amazing slideshow. But anyway, so we're leveraging our time. But that's what leverage means. The cons of property investing is... There you go. Look at it spinning in and bam, fade in. Leverage. So the downside of leverage is you're borrowing money from someone else, okay? And that exposes you to a few risks. So, you know, six months ago, if we said interest rates would be a risk to leverage, everybody would be like, no, interest rates have been low for years. They're going to carry on being low. Well, that hasn't panned out that way. So interest rates are rising. So if you've got a lot of leverage at the moment and interest rates are rising, your borrowing cost goes up, okay? So I think that's a massive obvious downside of leverage is that if interest rates go up, your borrowing costs go up, suddenly leverage doesn't work out quite so well. But certainly when money was cheap, leverage was you know a great thing, definitely. Oh, look at that little transition. Next pro is, I don't know what people mean by this, but they say it's tangible. So they say that it's tangible, like they can see their house, but they can't see their stocks and shares investments. I don't really get this. I don't really understand this because stocks and shares investments are pretty tangible as well. But I guess you can go and see a physical thing that you own. I don't know. What do you think, mate? Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's true. Your houses are tangible. And I guess, you you know, you can see it's there and it's safe. Whereas shares, you know, in the EFA are kind of going up and down. But, you know, you, they are tangible. As you say, you get a share certificate in theory. A lot of us don't anymore. But yeah, I... Yeah, I guess it's nice to see, physically see your investment, isn't it? I guess that's a good thing. Okay. Oh, next transition was the fade away. So pulled the paperback. That was pretty cool. So again, a con of property investing is it's tangible. What I mean by this is that my shares in whatever company I own them in, are never going to phone me up in the middle of the night and go, by the way, my boiler's broken. You know, if Apple, if Apple's boiler breaks, yeah, Apple, Steve Jobs is not going to phone me. Well, Steve Jobs is dead, so that's a bad example. But you get the point. They're not going to phone me up and say my boiler's broken or my pipe's leaking or the neighbors are making noise. Okay, so tangible comes with its benefits, but it also comes with its downsides as well. And anybody that's ever been a landlord will appreciate this. And I know that you can get people to manage your properties for you and do that, but they take a percentage and then suddenly that just destroys your margins and your borrowing costs go up, you're leveraged over the hill and then it's all bad. But uh, yep, tangible can work for and against you. I think that was like a barcode transition there. I'm having to describe it not only for podcast listeners, but also for Ed, who's just missing out on all of this. But if you're watching yeah. on YouTube, you're not missing out. It kind of went into a sort of barcode and now it's reformed with another pro of property investing, which is 
passive income now i think it is passive definitely because you know you buy the house you or flat and you mortgage it or whatever and then it just sends you a return every single month and that's the opposite to our jobs as doctors so as doctors uh, it's a great job we still love being doctors but we have to actually go there to physically earn the money if we stop going to work in general we stop getting paid as doctors we are trading our time for money one hour of my time as a doctor gets me one hour of doctor money okay but for the property you might spend 10 hours researching it and sorting out the mortgage okay and you might own it for 30 years and it'll pay you a return for 30 years so i love anything anything that helps me to leverage my time and make the passive income i'm just saying passive in a funny way because people say passive income it's not often that passive but i'm throwing it out there what's your thoughts mate yeah no i think i totally agree with that i think it's uh, you know it's nice to know that when you're away working you're getting that income stream coming in and you don't have to think about exactly. it exactly yeah and you just do the work once and then set it all up and you're all good okay next transition i don't know what's coming next oh that was okay it flew off the bottom of the screen and then came back again cons passive you know i think any kind of thing that's described as passive income in my experience truly passive income doesn't really exist, unfortunately. Eventually you have to do some work for it, but at least it's allowing you to not stop exchanging your time for money like when you're a doctor. And I love that, so yeah. Oh, look at the curtains, the curtain transition. Can you see this, mate, or not? No, it's Stockholm oh. first one, Leverage. That's all I get. You're gonna have to subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch it back to get the ha handle on it. So pros of property investing, I've gone for tax. So property investing can be tax efficient. I think it's definitely got a lot less tax efficient in the last few years because certain tax reliefs were removed. Most notably, you know, you used to be able to deduct the interest of your mortgage payments, I believe, if you had a property investment. I'm looking at you here, mate, because I... Again, focus more on the transitions and less on the quality of the slides. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, so they have restricted how much interest, mortgage interest, you're allowed to claim back. So it used to be all your mortgage interest you could claim back. Now it's limited, restricted to 20% or to the basic rate that you would get. So you used to be able to get higher rate tax relief, now you can get basic rate tax relief. But you still get some relief for yeah. it. Okay, yeah, definitely. And you can, if you've listened to our podcast, you can use a limited company to manage your property portfolio definitely check that out if you haven't set up your portfolio yet if you have set your portfolio up transferring it to a limited company has all kinds of issues mainly because of capital gains tax i believe so we have a podcast on that next transition oh it's gone for the curtains the cons i've just gone for tax again because of the reasons that ed mentioned it's got a little bit less tax efficient i think you still can do these things tax efficient it's definitely going to be more a tax efficient than an adjusted net income of 101,000 pounds i'm not going to guarantee many things but i'll guarantee you that maybe ed will as well i think we're getting to the business end of things here i've seemed to have got a bit addicted to the curtain transition just because it's so cool final pro for me diversification okay like diversification is the only free lunch in investing. And what that means is that instead of going all in on something like buying, for example, one stock, all of your money in Apple, okay? If Apple do well, well, great. But if Apple don't do well, not great. So I've got a nice little example of diversification here, okay? Imagine that you're looking to invest in a company and you invest in an ice cream company, okay? Selling ice creams. Now, if you have a hot summer, yeah, you're gonna do amazing because the ice cream company is gonna do really well. But if you don't have a hot summer, 
you're going to have a disastrous investment because they're not going to sell any ice cream. So you're thinking, okay, instead of taking my three pounds and putting it all into ice cream, I put one pound into ice cream. Okay. I put one pound into umbrellas. Okay. So if you have a rainy summer and you've got umbrella shares, you know, you've diversified. So whatever happens, you're going to be all right. Okay. And then the final thing is, well, what if you have a cold summer? You know, you don't need an umbrella. You just need a big coat. So you take your final pound and you put it into, you know, a coat company. So you've diversified there. Instead of putting all your money, three pounds, into ice cream company, you've gone one pound in ice cream, one pound in umbrella, and one pound in a Coke company, okay? And then whatever happens that summer, you are covered. And guess what? When winter comes, the Coke company is going to be flying and the ice creams might be a bit quiet, but you've diversified. You've spread out the risk of losing your money. And a large part of investing is avoiding losing money, okay? Because nobody wants to do that. So I love property because it helps to diversify your portfolio. I think sometimes as well, like a good diversification is something that's negatively correlated. So in theory, or sometimes property is negatively correlated with the stock market. Because if you're looking to diversify, you don't want to, you know, if you're saying, right, I don't want to own a pure ice cream company, I want to diversify. Well, if you buy a, a smoothie company, that's also something that you might have in the summer. So you haven't really diversified at all. You want to diversify into something negatively correlated like a warm jumper or warm coat company, I think was an example that I used. So I love it for diversification. What's your thoughts on diversification, mate? It's a fairly common standard sort of technique, isn't it really? I think it's vital that everyone looks at their investments and make sure they're as diversified as possible for uh, security. And yeah, you know, property... Can be part of that diversification. Yeah, yeah. It is like standard, but you'll be amazed at how many people are just like firmly entrenched in one camp, like firmly in the stocks and shares camp or firmly in the property camp or firmly in the Bitcoin camp. I mean, that camp has passed through right now. If you want to know what we think about Bitcoin, I think it's down there on record from about two years ago. And then the final con of property, and I think this is a fairly big con, actually. I don't know why I left it so far down the list. It is illiquid. What does illiquid mean? Illiquid means if you need to get your money back in a hurry, for whatever reason, it is hard to get your money back out of the property because you need to sell it, okay? And you might not always be able to sell it or you might have to take a loss if the market has taken a downturn. So it's illiquid. It depends on your investment term. That might not be a problem at all if you've got it set up properly. And plenty of other investments are effectively illiquid. So Yep. I think in summary, I personally love property investing. As I said, I have a slightly unique property investment, which is only going to be really of interest to GP partners and those on our GP partnership course, because only GP partners can own the property. Well, actually, that's not completely true. There are other ways to do it, but I won't go into those now. The other thing that I was sort of thinking about in the past, the reason why I don't like property that much is I think on property, you make the money when you buy, not when you sell. So every time I've done okay with property, it's because I've bought when everyone else is selling. So I bought a flat in 2009, financial crisis, everyone was selling. I was like, well, you know, 20% off sale. Of course I'm going to buy. And every time I've done that, it's because I've bought quite well. I've bought a couple of really rundown houses that one had no central heating, renovated it and, you know, and good. So, but then you're like, well, how many times am I going to keep being able to buy well? And that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. And then I just come full circle and I'm just like, oh, just set up my direct debit straight into my stocks and shares ISA. It's on autopilot, literally on autopilot via direct debit. But I don't know. What's your thoughts, mate? Property. 
So, yeah, I mean, just uh, throwing out a couple of other things then into the mix, that's all right, just to make sure that people, if they are thinking about investing in property, consider the the other costs that you would incur when you buy a property, all the, the painful fees you would incur for a solicitor and all, all the other things like that as well. But also don't forget that stamp duty land tax seems to be increasingly unfavorable in terms of buying additional properties. For example, for our Scottish friends, you know, the land and buildings transaction tax surcharge that you get if you buy another residential property, that's gone up from 4% to 6%. So, you know, you may be paying a stamp duty land tax equivalent of up to 18% in Scotland on buying a property if it's your second property. And also there's a higher capital gains tax charge when you sell it. So if I buy and sell some shares, then the capital gains tax is either 10% or 20%. But if you have a property, a second property and you sell it, you've got to pay capital gains tax at 28%, which is a bit higher. So just think about, you know, the other kind of tax elements and other costs as well in terms of investing property. Again, not to put anyone off, you know, it's entirely everyone's personal decision what they do. And we're not here to give advice on that front. But yeah, just think about that, the cost, because I think they're getting worse as the economic environment worsens. Yep, definitely. And the final thing I was going to say, which I don't think we've ever talked about. And again, this is definitely not advice, but say like you like your investments to be on autopilot, like I do, just set up a direct debit every month, go straight into a stocks and shares ISA, automatic. Any kind of automatic investing is my favorite kind of investing. No phone calls from my stocks and shares portfolio to say that the boiler's broken. There is a way to do that nicely. And I think the final transition is going to be the best. Oh, it's the curtains again. I really went too big on the curtains. But I want to say about REITs, okay? A REIT is a real estate investment trust. So effectively, what a REIT is that a company buys a load of properties, okay, and then lists it on the stock market. And that is basically a REIT, a real estate investment trust. So a REIT can be, not advice, but can be a way of getting exposure to property within your portfolio. And crucially, if it's inside your stocks and shares ISA, okay, as you know by now, we bang on about this quite a lot. The gains inside the ISA are tax-free, okay? So you don't have to worry about any of that tax malarkey that we talked about. So real estate investment trusts, just something to consider, definitely not advice. And if you're into you know, buying funds, which is a collection of shares, we love funds because of the diversification element and we love passive low-cost index funds. You can also get REIT funds really quite cheaply as well. So REITs, are you into REITs, mate, or not really? I don't think I have any REITs, but I think they are quite good from what I can gather. They're really popular in Australia and America. I think we're, the UK were quite late to the party with REITs, but I think they're taking off more and more. So yeah, worth, worth considering, I think. Yeah, I think it's just a... a... Yeah, it's just an easy way to get into it. I think the downside of them is that I mentioned you want to get negative correlation between your assets if you're diversifying. I'm not sure REITs always do have, they tend to, in general, tend to follow the stock market and therefore you're not getting that true benefit of diversification. But that is a long and boring topic for another day. Was that the best slideshow you've ever seen in your life? Well, you didn't see half of it. Well, yeah, for me, it kind of ended very quickly, but I'm, I did like the initial curtain thing. That was very good. And I'm sure that the uh, next 75 curtain transitions were equally good. So uh, yeah. <laughs> they were, they were strong. Okay, we've got to go and teach on our GP partnership course in eight minutes time. So I'm going to suggest that we wrap it up there. But I'm sure this will generate lots of debate. We love the thing I love about YouTube is the comments section mostly. So if you've got any comments or thoughts, do you love property investing? Are we barking up the wrong tree? Or was that a fair summary? And 
yeah, if you've got any hideous tax questions about adjusted net income, are we going to say put them in the chat as well? Yeah, I think we might have to, but it's not the nicest subject in the world. But I agree. I think the evidence falling on this podcast, so it's probably time to go. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for watching. If That's you're nice. new here, don't forget to subscribe. New episodes every Tuesday, Thursday. YouTube just come out randomly. We're just getting that started. But podcasts every Tuesdays and most Thursdays, unless we're both on call, in which case all bets are off because the NHS is ridiculously busy at the moment. Take care, everyone. Hope that was useful. Bye. Thanks, guys.